Welcome, everyone, to the Not So Humble Bragcast, the show on CKCC Radio where I interview you, the very interesting people that I know in my life. Or, hey, maybe we've never met, and this is the first time we're going to talk one-on-one. It doesn't really matter. If you're interesting and you've got a story to tell, this is the show for you. The Not So Humble Bragcast can be found on CKCC Radio wherever you get your favorite podcasts. But you knew that already because you're already listening. I'd like to introduce you to my guest for this week's episode. He's somebody that goes back with me quite a long way, actually, back to our days working together at the Walt Disney World theme parks, specifically Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. He's also an amateur paranormal investigator and a published author. Now, how many former Disney cast members do you know that also investigate the paranormal and have books published? He may not be the only one, but I bet you could fit them all in the back of a minivan. My guest at this time, you could say he's a Jeff of all trades, Jeff Trellowitz. Welcome to the show, my friend. That is one heck of an intro right there. <laughs> I do my part. I try to I try to build you guys up. It's all it's all part of the act, baby. All part of broadcasting. <laughs> but I'm happy to have you. I'm always happy to talk to you. How's everything going on your end? I'm happy to be here. Glad to be guest number two on this podcast. Loved episode one and looking forward to hearing other people's stories. Uh, I'm up here in the Northeast. It is uh, January 16th. Uh, We are in the middle of a snowstorm right now, as I'm sure you are as well. So I'm a little cold. It's it's a little bit chilly, a little frosty out, not going to lie. The the snow has been... Well, after have not having any snow last winter, this is certainly a change of pace. But two two snowstorms in the last week. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully, when you guys are listening to this episode, it's it's a uh, in much warmer circumstances, maybe even in much warmer clients, depending on a uh, where you happen to be located here. But Jeff, it's always fun to talk to you. We uh, we go back quite a long ways, back yes, to do. the. Uh, the Empire, as it's been known before. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's actually how we met at Walt Disney World. But you, of course, were a seasoned veteran by the time I came back. Even when I did my college program, we didn't know each other then. But you were already a seasoned veteran. So tell us a little bit about how you got started at Walt Disney World and what it was like just figuring out that you were going to work there, getting the job and where you ended up right off the bat. So the the story of me at Disney is very funny at times. Like I had just graduated college in 99. I was now working at an old age retirement home in the uh, dining room. And I was looking to, you know, go out on my own. I had to move back home after college. And so I was literally in the middle of looking for places and jobs in New York city when a friend of mine from high school came up to me one day, uh, me, him, and another friend were ironically at a theme park when we're driving home. And my friend Brian goes, so I'm moving to Disney and I need a roommate. Would either one of you want to come and be my roommate? And so my friend Tony goes, well, this is probably not the most opportune time to say this, but my girlfriend's pregnant, so I'm not going anywhere. And I'm like, well, I got nothing here. I'm literally in the process of trying to move myself. And I thought for a second, now, where would I want to go? New York, sunny Florida. New York, sunny Florida. When can we leave? 
<laughs> he literally said, we can leave right now if you wanted to. And I said, well, I do want to give my job the two weeks notice. So, you know, I, I came back, gave him my two weeks notice and literally probably 16 days later, his car was packed and we headed out. Uh, we didn't even have a place to live at that point. Uh, his sister and his mother went down first to try to find locations for us to maybe move into. He had already had the job at Disney, so that wasn't a problem. And then I just interviewed while I was there and pretty much got the job pretty quickly. That's, and so, that's so yeah. funny that he he had the job, but he hadn't yet planned the rest of this part out yet. It was yeah. just... Yeah, I'm going to go work there. I don't know what I'm going to do otherwise, but that's that's pretty funny. So uh, his mom had a place at All-Star Sports for a week. The day that we uh, that she checked out, we moved into the apartment. Nice. <laughs> and the first day we went, we had moved in. We're like, all right, well, we should probably go to Walmart because the place wasn't furnished. We didn't have anything. <laughs> you know, we had what was packed in the car, which, you know, isn't a whole lot. So uh, to this day, I still have the housewarming gift that he got me because it's, it is this giant framed photo of a cat in a fishbowl and a fish outside staring at the cat. Like this doesn't seem right. <laughs> so you, you were kind of the fish out of water though, in that, yeah. in that oh, environment. Yeah. Yeah, and so I remember, you know, going to the place across from downtown Disney where they did all the interviews, and they're like, you know, what would you like to do? And I said, quite honestly, I don't know what you have. And so they, you know, I talked to them a little bit about my experience, and I had a theater background, so they go, you must be good at memorizing stuff. I said, I am, you know. And they go, we got this place at Epcot called Interventions where you will uh, be given, you know, a script – and you'll have to perform it. And my first thought was like, I was going to be like on this stage in like front of a giant auditorium. I was way off on what, you know, what it really was like. And so, yeah, I pretty much got hired as, and I don't know if you know this or not. I started off as a host hostess. I was at, I was a host hostess for a year and a half. I, I did know that. Yes. And, uh, the, the difference, so for, for those of you who don't understand the lingo, and don't worry, that's okay. Disney has a lot of lingo. A lot of lingo. <laughs> There's too much, probably. Um, the host hostesses were the, I guess the best way to say the nonverbal roles, and then the presenters were the ones that actually had a script and a microphone. Yeah, I was going to say, like, depending on the position, because there were plenty of host hostess positions that did have speaking parts like uh so the first area i worked at was an area called uh it was you know all about because this was 2000 web construction it was you got to build your own website and like this was completely different than anything because you you didn't have most people didn't have their own website in 2000 yeah it's not like today So, like, we would just go around from station to station helping people figure out what they were going to do with their page. There were certain computers that had games on, so we'd help people play their games. When there was nobody around, we played the games, even though we weren't really supposed to. <laughs> and then next that's to- a uh, That's a mantra at Disney. We yeah. weren't really supposed to. That's a... 
common phrase. This will come up, I'm sure, in plenty other interviews with cast members down the line. Uh, then my next one was Toon Tag, which did have a microphone. It was basically kids got to play as Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy in a giant game of virtual tag with controllers. So that was a lot of fun. And then there was just a lot of just other random stuff. That, that sounds like up. fun. Yeah. Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah. That probably was the most fun as a host hostess because you got to interact with kids. You got to do play like as the host, you were doing play by play. Yes. Of So, you know, there's a tag of Mickey. Mickey's running away. Goofy, Goofy's hiding behind the five and dime. And yeah, <laughs> you actually had a microphone for that one. That would so that be was, a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I had one of my most memorable experiences there where, so I'm there and, uh, you know, we were supposed to introduce the kids and whatever. So we'd be like, hi, what's your name? And so this kid comes up. He goes, my name's Austin. And so there were a couple seats in front, and I heard somebody yell, ask him what his last name is. And I said, well, we don't normally do this, but uh, Austin, what's your last name? Powers. <laughs> I said, your name is Austin Powers. And this so was in 2000, at- right? Yep. Okay. And I looked at the parents and I go, how could you? <laughs> and they go, he came first. I'm like, okay, that's that. I'm, I guess that makes sense, but that's got to be awkward. <laughs> well, back then, yeah, the kid would have had to have been older than four <laughs> because yeah. 97 was the first Austin Powers movie. Yeah. But so. yeah, that is pretty funny. I, I, uh, I actually do work with a guy now whose name is Steve Rogers. And I said, let me ask you. He goes, yeah, it comes up pretty often. <laughs> interventions. Now, obviously, interventions has changed a lot during the years. I'm going to kind of stick to stick to the uh, what Disney was like in 2000 when you first started there. Um, interventions. What what were the the main attractions of interventions as a whole back in when back back then? I mean, obviously, it's it wasn't brand new at the time but well it sort of was because at that point it had just been rebranded it used to be called communicore right communicore so so there were certain things that were brand new uh there were two buildings which the funny thing was if you worked in one building you did not get along with the people in the other building (laughs) it was basically west side story you were either east side or west side (laughs) and you only interacted during the opening and closing meetings you sat on opposite sides. Yeah, it was awkward. So, uh, right, so when I started, there was the House of Interventions, which was there to the very end. There was the two venues that I talked about. There was the Forest for Our Future, which was a Pictionary-style drawing game. And then there was the uh, Motorola Theater, which is in the area that you would know best. That's what uh, replaced some of all thrills. Motorola theater. Yeah. All it, there was a giant robot. That's where it's called Starnak, who would look into this crystal ball and talk about, you know, again, this, because this was 2000, cell phones were so impressive back then. Oh, yeah. And then you would watch this like five minute video inside the Motorola theater go out on the other side and actually see cell phones and get to hold a cell phone. That was, of course, taped down. You couldn't take it. 
And the problem with Starnak was he had a tendency to pass out or <laughs> flip people off with his uh, – yeah, he would flip people off. It was, it was hysterical. So it would basically be if you didn't hear him for a while, you would have to turn around and see if he wasn't face down on the podium. <laughs> he and I would have gotten along really well. That sounds like – that sounds like me as a cast member, just yeah, face, no, face it, down on the podium or randomly flipping a guest off. Yeah, like the hydraulics, his fingers were just randomly just, you'd look, and there's a middle <laughs> finger. That's amazing. <laughs> it's hard to imagine why that venue didn't last very long. Oh, that sounds like so much fun, though. You know, oh, man, if I would have I would have gotten fired if I was at that venue, because I would have had way too much fun playing with that. Yeah, because, like, we couldn't get back. Like, there was... You couldn't even get to Starnak because there was pressurized pads near him. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, no, it would be one of those times where you just like, I always made the joke, like he would pass out a lot, but it was always like awkward to be the one to discover the body because there was always <laughs> going to be people around. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, got to call maintenance. Starnak's down again. And then that area then became SPI, the Society of Plastic Industry, which was a big video game. And then you could build your own crappy plastic robot and take it home with you i remember i remember a lot of guests coming up to us and asking us about that yep so that one that one resonated with guests in a positive way yeah because they it was one of the rare things that you could do and actually walk away with something for free because after you completed the game you would then create your own robot and then get to take it home with you before we dive too deep into your career at disney I want to ask a little bit about what the training was like. Uh, this would be, I think a lot of people would be interested to hear what it's like to be trained as a cast member, because obviously we all get trained in our areas, but we all have like these, we take like classes about the history of Disney and, yep. and I'm sure that was no different when you started versus when I started. Yeah, no, uh, the, the funny thing was I never actually did my discovery day. Whoa. I missed, <laughs> I missed my discovery day and they're just like, and for those listening, Discovery Day was basically the history of Disney. And you would go and walk around Epcot and discover everything. Yeah, you got to I play in the it. park. That's yeah. actually kind of sad that you missed that. And they're like, we'll just make it up. And next thing you know, it's a year later. And they're like, don't worry about it. It's it's too late now. <laughs> yeah, it's too late now. You've already discovered the park. <laughs> oh, that was the other funny thing about the day that I interviewed at Interventions. Test Track had just opened like a year ago. And I had not been to Disney since I was a kid. And so, you know, I go, I do my interview. It goes really well. And so the manager that I uh, had my interview with goes, have you been on test track yet? And I said, you know, no, I, I just came in for the interview. And he goes, you know, when you leave here, we don't escort you out. We just think you immediately exit the park. However, if you wanted to, you know, on your own, just go discover Test Track, we'll never know. And I'm like, that's an excellent point. I'm going to go leave now. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He goes, have fun leaving the park. <laughs> you know, that's just it, though. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand and don't appreciate that, like, for all of the the negativity that surrounded management in Disney, and there was a lot of it. Oh, yes, there was. <clears throat> there were a lot of managers who just – they just wanted to be there to have fun. And they – that's exactly how they treated the job. And that was infectious. 
Yeah. It's infectious on everybody. <laughs> Fun my, in the park. My favorite manager that worked there would have been gone way before you got there. It was an older guy named John. And John was completely by the book. Like everything had to, like everything had to be perfect. He would walk around with his clipboard and just monitor everything to make sure everything was great. Back in those days when we wanted an ER, which is an early release, we would actually have to call a number and leave a message <laughs> saying why we wanted to leave early. And so a bunch of us in front of Starnak, which I will always remember, decided we were going to do it all on one call. Like five of us just decided <laughs> we were going to do this all on one call. We'd be like, yeah, I was hoping maybe I could leave it two instead of five. Let me know. Wait, hold on a second. And then we'd pass the phone to the next person. And about half an hour later, John comes down from the management office. He's got his clipboard. And so he's checking off names and like gathering people together. And it's all the people that were on that one phone call. And he just, he looks down at us, make sure everyone's there and just goes, no. And then walks away. <laughs> that's the best. Oh, that's, that's the way to do it. I mean, if you like, this guy was like Mr. Feeney esque, like that kind of age, that kind of like personality, <laughs> but Every once in a while, he would surprise you with that moment, and you're just like, "Oh, he's great." We, he always, like he yeah. looks like Carl from Up. Like he literally, <laughs> that is his Facebook photo. It's him with Carl. <laughs> of course, because they're the same person. You just don't realize that. Would you say that Epcot was your favorite Disney park? Yeah. Okay. I liked Epcot. Epcot would probably have been second, but I'm a movie buff, so Studios was always number so one. So Studios was always favorite. Did yeah. you ever get a chance to work there? No. I literally spent my entire time at Epcot at Interventions with a short visit to Port Orleans, which we'll get into later. But no, okay. my entire time was spent at Epcot. Okay. So you didn't get to experience the uh, the other parks as an employee, but you obviously you would frequent them as a guest. Oh, yeah. So... Um, you can answer this either as, as it was in the past or as it is now, but what was or is your favorite attraction in all of the Orlando Walt Disney World Resort? I would have to go with Rock and Roller Coaster being my favorite. Okay. Park, or my favorite attraction. And again, the day that we got our main gate pass, which is what would like get us into the park whenever we wanted, my roommate and I, like, I hate going upside down. Absolutely hate it but he knows i'm a huge aerosmith fan and so he's like you know we should do this ride you will go upside down and i go ah, i don't think so he goes what's the worst that could happen if you die on the ride you'll die listening to aerosmith and i said that's logic i cannot argue let's go <laughs> and i i would say that's probably the ride i did the most when i was there <laughs> that's a fair sell too yeah i couldn't argue that point yeah i i love that ride and Although the uh, Steven Tyler's acting was atrocious in it. Wait, I love that idea. Wait, I love that idea. <laughs> Gotta have the fingers on the head, too. Yeah. And how many drugs was he on when he recorded that? Uh, all of them. Yes. I love Steven Tyler, but that was not during his clean face. No, it was not. <laughs> Very painfully obvious. But for for those of you who have never experienced the rock and roller coaster, the, uh, the gimmick the uh, behind the attraction is... 
Aerosmith gives is giving you backstage tickets to go to their show, and they pick you up in a super stretch limo, and the limo is your roller coaster, and the whole coaster is indoors, and it's all neon lit, and you're going through a city, and it's just it's so much fun, but. I don't, I, it probably wasn't the first coaster, but it's the the most recognized one that first played music while you were on the ride, which several coasters have emulated since then. But nobody has a full blown Aerosmith soundtrack. Yeah, and it wasn't always the same song. Like every time you'd ride it, you may get you know parts of one song, parts of another, parts of another. It was never the same every time. Yeah, it was like I know that Love in an Elevator was a big one that was kind of by itself, but then there was. There was definitely a mixture of some of their lesser-known songs, which I appreciated. Uh, we'll we'll cover this a little bit more when we get towards the uh, the paranormal end of things later down the line. But uh, how about that ride across from Rock and Roller Coaster? Yeah, loved the it. Ho- Hollywood Tower, Tower of Terror. Terror. Yes. Yeah, and that to me because they were next to each other, I would say Tower was probably in the top five of other rides that you know that I read the most. Because you just go from one to the other. If you caught it perfectly, you could pretty much go on one, have like a 15-minute wait at Tower, and then maybe go back to Rock and Roller Coaster. Yeah, there was there was a trick to timing it. And it was, if you if you got it down packed, that was always the uh, the big, well, we need to kill some time before Fantasmic. What, what should we do? Oh, I got an idea. <laughs> at, speaking of Fantasmic, we did that the first night that... You know, when we were there and witnessed a wedding proposal. Oh, how sweet. I got a picture of the proposal. Luckily, she said yes. <clears throat> I hope they're still married. So going back to because um, Disney in 2000 had a lot of different attractions than it did, uh, you know, moving forward. We are going we are going on a uh, what year is this now? A 24 year gap. Yep. Which is kind of insane. But I remember. Magic Kingdom specifically, I think, went through the most ride changes. And oh, yeah. you, you might want to argue studios now because they added Toy Story and Star Wars and all that. But <clears throat> I think uh, Magic Kingdom was the park that made the most changes, but also stayed the same. Yeah, because, like, you look at all the things that were added to Magic Kingdom from switching over from Stitch to... Or from Alien Encounter to Stitch, mm-hmm. adding Monsters, Inc., you know, the different restaurants that would come in. And, you know, what they have now is completely different, you know, with with uh, Splash Mountain now being uh, Princess and the Frog themed and all the others. New Fantasyland. Yep. Um, the Tiki Room under new management then went back to old management. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I, I, I witnessed that happening at Epcot because when they... Uh, at Imagination when they took Figment away and everyone was pissed and they're like, okay, we got to bring Figment back. <laughs> and they did, yeah. Or uh, or Captain EO. Yep, that's what I was going to say next, yeah. To bring back Captain EO when they're like, well, we've got this space now. What are we going to do? Let's bring back something that was classic. And they brought back EO and it was only supposed to be there for a little while and they kept it a lot longer because it was so popular. Yeah. And that's just it, because um, I remember this distinctly because I worked at the other park, too. Their big mantra was to always innovate and move forward, and they kind of mocked Disney a little bit about that, specifically mocking It's a Small World. But at the same time, 
they also had a Universal Studios people. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, <laughs> they also had a bad habit, I think, of getting rid of stuff while it was still popular. Yeah. But I mean, I can see people would still go to Jaws and they got rid of it. And I know that was a budget thing, but like, but you know, just eh, it is what it is. So let's kind of go through a little bit of the history of interventions here and talk about some of the. We don't have to go through it, um, li- you know, attraction by attraction, but in the time that you worked there, what were some of your favorite places to work, like stuff that would pop up that you really, really enjoyed working at? My all-time favorite venue at Interventions, and you and I know it very well, Where's the Fire? Yes, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. If I got to stay at Where's the Fire for more than an hour, it was a good day because I would always wind up at either – uh, House of Interventions, or my personal uh, hell segue. <laughs> that was going to be the next question was going to be, what's the one you uh, liked the least? <laughs> it wasn't like that I disliked Segway. For those that don't know, there was a, you know, those, it was a motorized cart that you, you would use your balance. It would use gyroscopes to keep your balance. Problem was, you know, we would do these free rides for people who had no business being on a Segway. <laughs> and so I witnessed a coworker get put through the wall. <laughs> yeah. Because this person could not stop. She was, and the, the girl was way too light. The guy was too big to be on the Segway. Tried to stop him and literally put a dent in the wall. Oh, man. I would walk out of Segway bruised and battered because guests as much you know as great as they could be could also not be great and not care and laugh about like you've seen it you've seen people try to destroy disney property because it's funny oh i've been run over by the electric scooters i've been run over countless times i've watched them damage stuff i've watched them steal stuff i witnessed somebody run into the window like i don't know how fast you got to go to smash the uh, sliding door of Interventions East, they cracked that door. Well, somebody figured it out. <laughs> yeah. <I'm>, like, <laughs> That's crazy. I was there for 13 years, and I can tell you stories that you're like, no, you're making that up. No. Were you there when they had the giant towers in front of the East and West buildings? Um, or were they, I think they, they may have taken them down by that point. Yeah, it doesn't sound familiar, but... There used to be a tower in front of both the exits and entrances of the Interventions building. I'm coming back from lunch, and I see a child has climbed the top and is now basically standing above the building. (laughs) I, you know, I'm on break. I, I shouldn't care. I see this, and I start running. Next thing I know... The kid jumps. Oh, no. Luckily, lands on his feet. And I'm like, what the? What are you doing? And so I, I tell him you know, not to do that. And the parents are like, yeah, you know better than that. And I'm like, you were taking pictures of the child. Do not just put this on the kid. This is on YouTube. I had to tell a kid to stop smashing his head against the Segway uh, <laughs> dome. I'm just like, no, you're going to concuss yourself and then you're going to sue. <laughs> it will come up on my time hop 
on Facebook where I say things I never thought I'd have to say, but I did today. Stop smashing your head against the steel dome. It's amazing. I mean, how many times did you see a kid sitting on the the ropes and then just kerplunk face plant right on the ground? I know you've you've seen that one. Uh, I was standing in front of Ultimate Home Theater, which was in Interventions West. And this was when the wheelies were the big thing. Those shoes with the wheels on it. Oh, my God. And, you know, (laughs) they were outlawed at Disney for obvious reasons. But, you know, kids would still get in and still use them. And I remember telling a kid, you know, I understand you, but you can't use them. Okay. Two minutes later, I see him making his round again. Just, And I'm like, no, stop. Don't make me take these out. A minute later, I'm talking with my friend Greg. And we just hear a thud. <laughs> and I look, he goes, was that what I think it was? I go, yes, it was. <laughs> Kid fell down. <laughs> I think I told you this story. This happened in, uh, in Wizarding World. I was opening the Hippogriff Coaster. So very few people came to me r- during the first hour that we were open. <clears throat> Everybody's run into Hogwarts. And... Here comes the line of people. You see them coming in because you remember the rope drops and the wave starts coming. There's just a wave of people. And there's a bunch of kids out in front and they're running full speed. And for people who don't know, one of the things that Disney's very good at is keeping their parks clean. Mm -hmm. Um, Universal, same thing. And they would they would power wash the sidewalks and everything. So the grounds are wet. Yep. And in Florida, the humid capital of the United States, uh, water doesn't evaporate that fast. So yep. the grounds are still very wet in the mornings. Here comes the kids, and I watch a kid running full speed. And I wish this was on video so I could recreate it for all you guys. But just imagine a kid taking off in the air like Superman and getting a good amount of distance and then just flat on the ground. And then a second later, just starts wailing at the top of his lungs. Mom walks up behind him, clearly annoyed. This is clearly not the first time she said this. And just goes, and that's why I told you to stop running. And scoops him up, screaming child up under her arm with a hefty sigh and just takes him into the castle. And I'm giggling. (laughs) Yeah. The thing, again, the things that we've both seen. It's just ridiculous some of the things that I've seen. I, you know, one time I was reading at uh, Tipboard and there was this, you know, thunder. And this guest comes up to me, he goes, what was that? I said it was thunder. Oh, uh, is you guys going to lower the dome? I said, excuse me? You know, if it starts raining, you guys going to lower the dome? This is Florida. We don't have a dome. <laughs> you don't? I, I was like, no, no, just, just go away. You, you make my head hurt. No, people don't understand. There are actually people on this planet, living, breathing human beings who somehow dress themselves in the morning that think that Disney has some kind of dome to keep or control the rain over out. the weather yeah. or something. And would get actively angry at us. Because it was raining in July in Florida. <laughs> I had one where, you know, Interventions closed at 7. It started raining about 7, 10. Uh-huh. As we're closing the building. I already know where this sudden, is going. <laughs> all of a sudden, I see the doors open. 
And they're like, it's raining. And I said, I don't care. The building is closed. Yeah, building's closed. You can't come in. <laughs> but it's raining. Well, then buy a poncho. Mouse Gears is right next door. Yeah, go in there. That building's open. That was like the positive and negative about having a venue that closes early is that we got to leave early, but it was also the hassle of getting the people out. Did you know that it didn't always close at 7? When did it normally close? 9 o'clock. Okay. So it closed with the park because Epcot mm-hmm. was Epcot was pretty good at closing at 9 o'clock. Yep. It didn't have the whack, the wacky hours that Magic Kingdom had. Especially at the very beginning. You know, there was always the set time. But yeah, unfortunately, it was 9-11 that closed interventions at 7. Oh, you know what? Let's let's uh, let's kind of talk about that because you were there. Yes, I was. You were there for nine eleven. I was still in high school at the time, but you were actually at the parks. And what I've now I've heard the stories, and it sounds like it was handled about as well as it could have been given the circumstances. But what do you remember from that day? I remember every single detail about that day. That day I'm is not surprised in my brain. Oh yeah, I, same for me. But let's I I got to hear because it's a. Uh, for for those of you who don't understand what it, for, this is like for the younger listeners, like nine eleven, the country literally stopped. Yep. And if you weren't if you weren't alive for it, or even um, at an age where you could really understand what was happening, for a lot of us, for our generation, like for Jeff and my generation, this was probably the most historic event we would go through until COVID happened. Would you agree? Yeah, for me, the top three things that will always, you know, timeline-wise, when I was a kid was Challenger. Yes, because you were old enough to remember that. I was just a baby. (laughs) 9-11 and then COVID, yeah. So basically, here's the story. I'm walking into work. There were two TVs in front of the main entrance of services. I had my headphones in, but I heard them say, a plane hit a tower. That's all I heard as I walked through the door. And, of course, the radio was on in the locker room as well. And so my first thought was there was an accident at an airport. Somehow a plane misguided hit the airport tower. Yeah, that would have been my that would have been my first thought if that was the only clue I got. I get dressed. You know, they're still talking about it. And I'm like, well, it's kind of weird for them to still be talking about. But, you know, it's bad. So. I get out. There's two TVs on at the back door as well. As soon as I hit the door, I look up at the TV to see the second plane hit the World Trade Center. And at that point, I knew, no, this is, I was way off. Yeah, that's. Now, I'm from Connecticut. I've got friends and family that live in New York. I froze. Like, I'm just staring at the screen going, what the? And I barely made it to interventions on time because I was just focused at what I was watching, trying to gather all of this in. So, you know, we start every day with a morning meeting. It's basically, hey, you know, I don't know if you guys noticed what happened in New York, but something big's happening. We're going to try to pretend like nothing's going on. Don't bring it up to guests. Don't do anything. Just let it be. This was when I was still a host hostess. So I was sitting, I had a microphone on talking about something called an Ibo, which was from Sony. And it was this little little robotic dog that had a camera in its nose. I remember that. Yes. 
Oh, wow. You just unlocked like a, a, a really deep memory. <laughs> but we had this one manager who would come around and give us, you know, pull us aside whenever any big news happened. So I'm over at Ibo and this big dude covered in hair, full beard is staring at the Ibo and I'm kind of getting creeped out by it. And I'm trying to, you know, give the spiel. And I was like, any questions? And he goes, could the military have any use for this? And I'm thinking, buddy, of all the days for you to ask that question. <laughs> and so at this point, they said, okay, we're going to close at 12. Now, in the 13 years I'd, I've been at Disney, I've witnessed Disney close five times. No, four times. Two for transfer, uh, two for hurricanes, one for a transformer blowing up at Epcot, so half the park had no power, and 9-11. And so I, I, I walk over to the manager as he's giving the rounds, because he had said, if anyone says anything, you know, let us know if you have any concerns. And I said, you know, I said to the manager what the dude said, and he goes, eh, it's questionable, but I think we're okay. And so then they decided we're going to close even earlier than expected. And so because that was before the last plane, the one that crashed in the Pennsylvania field, we didn't know where that plane was going. And so the logic was what's more Americana than Disney that we could possibly be a target. Right. And I've, I've heard that before. That was a big concern was that there was a possibility that magic kingdom was a direct target or even Disneyland. Yep. Um, I don't know so, if that's ever been truly confirmed or not, but why risk it? Yeah. I, I think they made the right call. Yeah. Unfortunately, they decided because uh, Interventions was near the front of the park, they sent us cast members to tell people what was happening. Oh. So, I mean, there was an announcement over the loudspeaker due to unforeseen circumstances. This uh, All of Disney will be closed for the day. Please exit the park. You'll get, you know, so-and-so compensation. And, you know, I'm in shock at this point. I don't even, like, and so I remember this family came up to me and said, you know, I don't understand what's happening right now. And I said, I'm, honestly, either do I. But the easiest way for me to put this is, I said, you know, the World Trade Center in New York? And they go, yeah. I go, it's not there anymore. You're kidding. Look around, buddy. <laughs> nothing nothing I'm saying right now is me kidding. Yeah. So the whole park empties. To be standing at between east and west in the middle of the day and not seeing a single guest was just the most awkward feeling and it then became worse because we look over and they have brought in bomb sniffing dogs and so then we went upstairs into the manager's office which used to be above interventions east put on the news for about a half hour just so that we knew what was really happening and so my manager was like, listen, there's nothing we can do here. Go home, be with your family. And so I went, you know, I, my family was up north. You know, again, it's 2001. We don't have cell phones. Can't, you know, I called just to say, you know, just to check in on my family. Tried to reach the friends that I had in New York. Couldn't do that. Go home, hanging out with the guy that I moved down there with. And I just watching the news and I said, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't just stare at the screen. They keep showing this. And I, I it was literally driving me insane. And I'm like, I'm going to go lay down. 
and I closed my eyes and I couldn't see anything else. Like the only image in my head was the second plane. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm, you know, this is before streaming before, you know, I don't even think blue uh, DVDs were really that big at that point. So there wasn't even much you could do to get away from it. Yeah, for real. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of people don't, if again, like if you weren't active, if you weren't really around during that, I think people don't realize like w- everything stopped. I've yeah. told, I've told my story before on other podcasts. I'll tell that when we pro- probably when we launch the new show down the line, that's a, that's a, that's a spoiler for what's to come. But it's a teaser. It's a teaser. Yeah. No, that would, I had to steal the Paul Heyman line. That's a spoiler. Um, yeah. And you, and, and I do remember from all accounts that I've heard, and maybe, maybe there were one or two stragglers who uh, apparently the guests were extremely cooperative for the most part, because again, they were, <clears throat> and I don't blame them for being upset when you consider how much you pay to get into Disney and oh, they'd sure. be there for two hours. And then all of a sudden, it beats the alternative. There was no other alternative to do at that point. Yeah. And then everything changed after that. Security tightened yep. tenfold. I mean, how was security for employees getting in and out after 9-11? Before, there was no security. You could just walk in and out. You know, you'd have to show your badge and that's it. Afterwards, there were bag checks. Gotcha. And then, you know, years later, they added, you know, the cheese grater door the swinging pendulum door. yep I, which which was there when i was there i've got pictures <laughs> of that being built i was just like i came in one day and i'm like is the park closed do i can i just go home is it right they're like no there's just a door on the other side you got to go around I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn all right so let's talk a little let's fast forward a little bit and talk about what eventually led to your departure from Disney cuz you were there for a long time you, you as you said you uh it was mostly in inventions let's quickly talk about how you kind of left attractions and then came back to it i got in like i'd been there i'd been at inventions for about 10 and a half years you know having seen both host hostess and presenter having been a trainer for a short time when you're at a job for so long, you just kind of want to change. And so I decided I was going to try that. I wanted to see, you know, a different position. So I wound up getting a job at uh, the Port Orleans Resort at the front desk at both French Quarters and Riverside. Okay. And I got to do that for about two months. I made some stupid mistakes with cash handling, which came back to bite me. It really was, you know, stupid on my part. I, you know, you got to always pay attention. And sometimes I didn't. And so I made two mistakes and then I tried to cover up a third mistake, which wasn't actually a mistake. (laughs) And they're like, yeah, we're sending you back. I was like, okay, well, it was fun. Um, Had a lot of fun at the resorts. Uh, (laughs) One time this guy left his ID at the front counter. And I looked down and I'm like, who's is that? Oh, God. And so I had to chase this guy down through half of Port Orleans. I'm like, your ID, sir. Your ID. <laughs> you're going to want that. <laughs> Trust me, you're not going to do very well without this. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't really make a lot of friends at Port Orleans. So at least I knew I was coming back to where, you know, they could have sent me somewhere else, but uh 
interventions needed me back. So I was like, all right, you know, I tried. It was a good experience, but I'm going back to where I I know the most. I mean, well, you know, I started at Kilimanjaro Safari, and I can't tell you how many people left Safari and went back to Safari. Yeah, because it's it's all about comfort zone. You, You if you've been somewhere long enough, like I could. If I really tried to, I could still do speeches, you know, our scripts in our, you know, out loud that I haven't done now in 11 years. That's crazy how much of that you would actually retain, too. Yeah. If I got like the first sentence or so of where's the fire, because like I still see the screens in my head. Oh, yeah. I I, I still have the gestures down. But yeah, you know, if you do something long enough. It's going to be ingrained in your brain. It took me five years to stop doing the Disney point. I still catch myself doing it. I finally have completely broken the habit, but it took me a good long time to stop doing the Disney point. Disney point was great. So I want to, I want to move on to our other topics here in just a moment, but why did you decide to leave Disney? I mean, you've been there for so long was, was it had to do with family? Did it have to do with just living in Florida, which I know can be difficult for us Northerners? I was beyond burnout by that point, and I was engaged. And my fiance at the time got a job in her hometown, which so happens to be in New Jersey. And so the only like it, she wanted to work in her hometown for her longtime family friend, and so. Because I was burned out, I was like, whatever. There's nothing more I can do at interventions at this point. Like I said, I was a trainer for a while, butted heads with too many people. And so I was like, all right, yeah, I'll I'll go with you because there's, you know, why not? And that was. So I moved to a place called Cinnaminson, New Jersey. Oh, I know where that is. I've announced wrestlers from Cinnaminson, New Jersey before. Nice. Had to clarify that they did not want me to say Cinnamon Town. Yep. <laughs> yep. But yes. Uh, in fact, one of the wrestlers I worked with, I don't believe he's with us anymore. Um, his name was Cannonball, and that's where he was billed from. Looking back now, after a 13-year run at Walt Disney World, is there anything that you wish you could have done? Any ride you would have wanted to try working at? It's not so much the ride. I've always said, just for one day, I wanted to be a friend of a character. Oh, that would have been so much fun. I I feel the same way. Like looking back on it now, I'm like, you know what? That would have been that would have been cool. Just to put, and for those who don't know, when you hear the word "friend of," it means the person in the suit. Yes, I would have loved, you know, and I forgot. Like at one point, I knew which characters I was in the height range for. <laughs> The problem was I didn't have the penmanship for it. You have to always sign the exact same way every yes. time so that, you know, and I just couldn't do that. So I would have had to have been one of the characters that stamped. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have loved to have just put on, even just put on the suit, not even necessarily for guests. I would have loved to have just put on one of the costumes and just walk around for a while. That would have been fun. I would have enjoyed that, too. And then uh, this is going to tie into our next segment here. Opinions on the Haunted Mansion. Brilliant. One of my favorites. Haunted Mansion. It's one of those rides that you can 
go on and just relax and so I had a friend of mine, uh, my ex-girlfriend and I were still friends even after we broke up. And uh, her friend and I, the best way to describe it was frenemies. Like we got along <laughs> great, but we would bicker like brother and sister. So one day we're on, we go to Magic Kingdom and we go on uh, Haunted Mansion and it breaks down. And I'm stuck with my frenemy in the car with me. And I remember just looking at her and go, you know, in a million years, I never thought I'd be alone in the dark with you. <laughs> She's like, imagine how I feel. <laughs> Funny how these things work out. Well, Haunted Mansion, of course, is populated with happy spirits. 999 happy haunts looking for number 1000. And Jeff has been looking for quite a few haunts throughout his career. We're going to take a quick break here, folks. But when we come back, we're going to dive into the world of the paranormal with Jeff Trelawitz, an amateur paranormal investigator, and hear some of his stories. Don't go away. The Not So Humble Broadcast is coming right back. Do you feel like your voice doesn't matter? Does it feel like our leaders aren't listening? Participating in politics shouldn't be this difficult. Future is Now Coalition is here to fundamentally change politics and restore democracy, making it more transparent, accessible, and inclusive. To learn more about our mission and get involved with the movement, find us at futureisorg on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and X, or visit our website, futureis.org. That's futureis.org. We are back on the Not So Humble Bradcast, episode two, talking to my good friend Jeff Trelowitz. We just talked a little bit about the career working for the mouse in Orlando. But Jeff and I also share another mutual interest, one that I've noticed that a lot of more people have become more comfortable admitting that they're into the, the paranormal, the paranormal side of things, specifically ghosts, cryptids, aliens even, which has always been my big forte there. Jeff, how let's see if we can kind of turn the clock back here. When did your interest in the paranormal begin? I was probably a teen when I first started my interest in it. There was a show on TV called Sightings, and it was well before any of the ghost hunting shows. And it would just be, you know, video clips of people sending in of, you know, is this a UFO? And, you know, it's just some lights in the sky or whatever. And then I remember my godfather, whenever I would go visit that family, him and I would just go and talk for a while. And he was the one that really got me into the paranormal. He was the one who taught me all about Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and all those other cryptids that you hear about. I had never heard any of those things. So he, like, we would spend like a half hour whenever I would go, you know, he lived a couple towns over. He would bring out this book and just be like, here's something else you should look into. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is the most amazing. Something that looks like that? What, is this real? <laughs> and so from that point on, I kind of always had an interest in the paranormal. Yeah, I mean... I, I kind of feel the same way. I grew up in New Jersey, which spawned the weird U.S. craze because weird New Jersey was the first one. Yep. And I feel like a lot of it came from that. And I always had an interest in in astronomy. I was always a big space kid. 
So I think that the alien stuff kind of came from that, but the ghosts and the cryptids specifically came from some of the local haunted areas near where I grew up, and then also the Jersey Devil was the big cryptid that we kind of had. Jersey Devil is my homeboy. Jersey Devil right? is your homeboy. <laughs> For This is an audio podcast, but that's the shirt that he's wearing, folks. Which ties into uh, the story, the last story I told about why I left Florida to go to New Jersey. I bought this in the uh, venue that I got married at, had a shop that had this. <laughs> yes. Leeds, New Jersey, the, the center of the Pine Barrens, where the Jersey Devil is said to live. Also, where Paulie and Christopher got lost in The Sopranos in the best episode of the show. But getting ahead of myself here. All right. So... For the most part, the paranormal is mostly broken down into the three things I kind of talked about. It's generally spirits, hauntings, etc. Um, your your cryptozoology, your your weird creatures, your legends. The more famous ones you mentioned, Bigfoot, Loch Ness monster, uh, Jersey Devil is kind of more of a local legend, but I think he's kind of gained some notoriety. The Chupacabra, the Yeti, and the Himalayas, etc. And then, of course, aliens, which. If we're, if we're being honest with ourselves here, probably the most realistic aspect oh, yeah, of the doubt. paranormal. But, but what made you actually decide that this was something you wanted to try investigating? I I know I've mentioned this on my on uh, Real Paranormal Talk. I had an experience with what I believe was a UFO when I was a kid. I mean, I also had one with a ghost, but that's another story. Um, so, again, I live in Connecticut. There is woods behind my house. And so it's probably December. We have a wood burning stove. So there's wood stacked outside the garage. And it's just me and my dad at home. And he asked me to come down from my room to go get some wood for the stove. And, you know, again, I was probably just watching sightings at the time. And I remember distinct as day as the garage door is opening. I said something to myself, you know, Along the lines of, I know you guys are out there. Just show yourself. I don't know what it was about that. I said those words as the garage door opened. I turned to my right, walked out of the garage, went to reach to grab the wood. And that's when I saw in the woods behind us a triangular shape floating above the woods, just kind of hovering there for a while. And I'm just like, oh, shit, it's happening. And I'm thinking, you know, I, again, this is mid-90s. So no cell phones, no cameras in our pocket, no, you know, nothing to document at the time. And I remember just sitting there watching this for, you know, what I thought was about two minutes. Now, there's a uh, airport not too far from my house, probably about a half hour. And I'd always heard that, you know, on certain nights, you can see planes landing there. So I'm watching this just light just hang in the sky. And then all of a sudden, just zoom out, like, in a flash, gone. I come running inside. And my father's first reaction is, where's the wood that I sent you out to get? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> listen, uh. Is it true that you could see planes landing at so and so airport? And he goes, "Are you kidding me? No." And I'm like, "Okay, I think I just saw a UFO." No, you didn't. 
<laughs> no, you didn't. I was like, no, I did. But he goes, why were you gone for 20 minutes and you don't come back with any wood? I go, that's why. Again, I did not feel like I was gone for 20 minutes. I felt like it was maybe five at the most. And so, and the weirdest part about all this is I will still have dreams about that night, except the spaceship doesn't fly away. I see it land in my backyard because I had a big backyard and I don't remember. I've never seen aliens come out of it. I just, you know, whatever image you have of a triangular shaped UFO landing, that's what I saw. And I will have that dream maybe once a year for now 30 some odd years. Yeah. So it's just, it's just implanted in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always feel like that's where a lot of people's interests start, right? So, something happens. They can't explain it. They start looking for what it could be. And you just don't find a satisfactory answer because how do you yeah. account for those missing 18 minutes yeah. that just disappeared? Yeah. You were you you were gone for two. Your dad says 20. Something ain't adding yeah. up there. Yeah. And like you said, you were like, okay, that's why my first reaction was, oh, I can see a plane landing at so-and-so. Oh, wait, no, I can't. Uh, what just happened? Yeah, what happened? You don't know. And I've heard I've heard stories like that from people before where they say they, they see something and then all of a sudden there's just a huge gap of time is just gone. It's called time displacement where, you know, you think you've been gone for so-and-so. You've got this missing time that you just can't ex- you can't account for, but you know you look at Travis Walton as one of the most famous cases out in Portland. There are a lot of reports saying he faked it, but I mean there, there's a lot of things that just don't add up, and that's what you know you said that a lot more people are coming out and saying you know they believe in the paranormal now. It's because they don't want people to think they're crazy. They don't you know they're was such a stigma of believing in the paranormal that a lot of people, yeah, would say, no, that, that, that there's no ghosts. There's no, because you don't want that negativity on you. Right. And I think that's another thing too, is, you know, a lot of people will just, they're so determined to believe something that they're going to believe it regardless of what evidence would suggest. And you can present them with a very convincing video of a UFO but they would be immediately go, no, that's CGI or it's faked yep. or whatever. Yep. And and of course, like it, it kind of goes with my whole argument with the um the anti-science movement out there with like the contingency of the earth being flat, where I can go on YouTube right now and actually watch live feed of the ISS orbiting the planet and go, look, the earth is round, and their immediate reaction is, Well, that's that's a fake video. It's a it's it's a lost argument at that point. Now, one thing I've always found interesting about UFOs just in general is that because because I'm a big science nerd and I like I like the truth. That's what we're actually as paranormal investigators. That's what we are looking for. We are looking for the truth. And like Neil deGrasse Tyson is very famous for saying all of our cameras got better and all of a sudden the UFO footage dropped. Why is that? You know, I think it's because there was a lot of a lot of just unexplained stuff being labeled as UFOs. But there's also a lot of stories very similar to what you just described happening to people, the time displacement thing. And 
it, you it's you can't just be like passing out at random and losing large chunks of time. That's that yeah. can't be what's happening here. But the problem, of course, is until we have a perfect explanation, it's kind of just always gonna, yeah. There's always going to be people who are going to try to punch holes in it. Yeah, and there's always it's a lot of stuff's going to be up for interpretation. So UFOs kind of kicked it off for you. When did the ghosts and the cryptids start? Well, again, cryptids were all with my uncle, my godfather. Uh, when I moved into the house that I grew up in, because I, I, my father was in the Navy, so I kind of moved around a little bit when I was a kid. But we moved into the uh, a house, and I remember something spooked me. I don't know what it was. I just... I came running down the stairs and our couch was in the middle of the living room. And there's a light, there's a window behind it, which was slightly blocked because the deck was above the window. But I remember seeing a ghostly hand from behind the couch do the come here gesture. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Now, again, I'm probably six or seven at this point seeing this and yeah i freaked out i was already spooked by something in my room i see what i uh, think is a hand telling me to come to it and i just jetted out of the house because my parents were in the front yard and they're like what's wrong and i'm like i don't know and again it's one of those things i can see everything about that day and there's a part of me that always wondered what would have happened if I did, if I walked around to the couch, would I still be involved in the paranormal at that point? We wouldn't would, be having this interview. Yeah. I I just, I remember seeing that image and I'm like, uh, I don't know what's happening here. You know, when you're six and that's the other thing that they always say that children are more impressionable for things like that because their minds are more open to possibilities then because all we've been told as an adult is that's not real that so kids are not told that you know that's why they say animals can see things that we can't and kids can see things that we can't yeah i would i trust if my cats are staring at something that i can't see i trust something's there yeah because they're they're focused on something so that's yeah that's that's a lot of stories i've heard is somebody either lived in a haunted house or was in someone's house that was haunted and something affected them. And it's almost unfortunate that that's where it has to come from, but that's generally where it has to come from. And the problem is, you know, I lived in that house throughout elementary school, through high school, in college, before I moved to Orlando. That was the only isolated incident. So I'm not even going to say I lived in a haunted house because one story in 15 years. Sure. I've had more stories in the apartment that I moved into in Orlando than I did in the house that I lived in. That could have just been Florida being Florida, though. (sighs) I don't know. (laughs) I I got some stories that you're just like, shut up. No, no. Didn't happen. Oh, it happened. (laughs) Oh, it happened. You've you've had these experiences. You've got the interest already. When did you first start actually going out into the field on your own? Pretty much when I was in Orlando, because my favorite, and I know one of your favorite episodes of Ghost Hunters was the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Absolutely. And so 
I would take my equipment to St. Augustine because it is one of the most haunted locations in the country. And it's not just, you know, the lighthouse. There are several, you know, I would say hundreds of stories at different locations of ghostly apparitions or some spirit activity from the lighthouse to Castillo de San Marcos to the old Spanish fort, uh, to the Spanish hospital, the oldest school house is there. Ponce de Leon's fountain of youth is in St. Augustine. The cemeteries there are creepy AF. Have you heard the story? I'm trying to think of the kid's name now. And that's where I had the most uh, experience. Other, And I'm drawing a blank on his name. There is a child's grave in one of the cemeteries in St. Augustine. It's a military cemetery, yet this one kid who's like six years old is nowhere. And his grave is, you know, hundreds of feet away from everyone else. You cannot get into the cemetery. It is barbed wired. So we decided we were going to take a one of those like rubber balls, paint it with glow in the dark paint. I threw it over the fence and it landed right by his grave. Came back the next day, the ball had moved. Came back the next night, ball is back in the original position. Again, this is not something that you could, like the the gates would open once a week for like an hour. Um, Was it little James? Yeah, James. That's it. Okay. James. I just looked it up and yeah, that's the first name that came up. Uh, You know, I said that kids can sense things that we can't. I was there with an ex-girlfriend and her sister. We were hanging out by the cemetery, as you do. And <laughs> Just an average time, spring day. <laughs> yeah, you know. Every time I went to St. Augustine, the first place I would go would be James's grave. And so we're across the street, and, you know, the stories are he w- would make himself more known to children than adults because, you know, same age. We're standing across the street talking, and we notice a family walking in the, in our direction on the other side of the street, on the same side as James. It's a mother, a grandmother, and a little child. The second they got up to that cemetery, the kid starts freaking out, screaming, kicking. Just The mother and the grandmother have no idea what's happening. Me, my ex, and the sister are like, okay, you guys do see this happening right now. Like Again, it was early mid 2000s so again no cell phones no cameras you know we didn't want to videotape complete strangers but yeah and then the second they walked away the kid was fine now there's no way that kid knows the story of james no not a chance so our impression was james was hanging out in the tree that he's been known to hang out in you know called to the kid waved to the kid kid sees a complete stranger in a tree and freaks out. As one does. As you do. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I've, I, and I remember you telling me that story for the first time. And that's that would be the same, kind of the same notion as like if you're walking your dog and the dog starts losing it. Yeah. On the, you know, I've, and I've heard stories, friends of mine who had dogs would walk their dog near a cemetery and the dog would start growling at a certain spot in the cemetery. And they're like, no, no, we're, we're, we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah. 
you you want to be you want to say to the dog, you know, what is it? But obviously the dog's not going to be like, dude, there's a ghost over there. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not Scooby-Doo. It's not just going to burst that out of nowhere. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh. Ruh-roh, Raggy. So what was your uh, your first actual investigation? Do you remember? It would have been St. Augustine. would have been the first place I actually would have brought my gear. Um, probably the uh, – I don't think I actually brought more than my EMF detector to the lighthouse. But I've been to Castillo de San Marcos, which is the old Spanish fort. Ghost hunters have never been there, but Ghost Adventures did do an episode from there. And again, it's one of those creepy stories that, like, do you believe that sounds can also happen when, you know, through time, basically? Oh, yeah. I, I have to believe that because of everything I've ever heard of from Gettysburg and Valley Forge mm-hmm. and the, the battlefields up here in Pennsylvania. They say you can hear the yep. battles being reenacted at certain times. That's what happened to us. I was there with again, an ex-girlfriend and another friend of ours. We're at the Castillo de San Marcos and we're inside one of the old like magazines where you have to crawl underneath a space to get into. So me and my friend Mary decided to crawl in while my ex did not want to. And so all of a sudden we hear cannon fire. Mm. Now there are cannons on the fort that they do light off and I do have video of it. Cannons were not being lit off at that time because there's a schedule of when the cannons get fired. Right. My my ex-girlfriend, who was just on the other side of the wall, could not hear anything. But Mary and I, clear as day, both went, you hear the cannon, right? Oh, there's another one. There's another one. That's the other thing. When they do it for the ritual, they only fire at once. Right. We heard multiple fires. Cannon fire is what I heard in Gettysburg. Yep. But it was a single shot, and I don't recall if they have cannons that they fire at Gettysburg, or, or if they were at the time. So I've always just kind of chalked it up to maybe that's what they were doing. But then I talk to, you know, I'll talk to someone like you, and you'll be like, "Well, hold on a second, let me tell you a story." And it makes I've me... seen videos of soldiers walking in Gettysburg, and I've heard like I've seen video where it's definitely a gunfire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gunfire is not very unmistakable. Yeah. And it's there's a world of difference between gunfire of today and what you would have heard at Gettysburg. Yeah, for sure. A musket sounds different than a Glock. (laughs) Yeah. Much different. You're you're not going to mistake those two. Yeah. And for someone like me who's actually shot a uh, black powder rifle and has, you know, owns guns and has history with them. You know, I kind of know what they sound like a little bit. I hope so. so. Yeah. <laughs> They're loud and silencers are, are not anything like they are in TV and movies, by the way, kids. What? Yeah, I know. I'm shocked by this. You, they don't just go. Poop. They do. They do lower the decibel level, but it's still very much audible. <laughs> yeah. What I remember from Ghost Hunters, which I, I always love Ghost Hunters. That was a always a fun show to watch. The old Taps crew yep. out of, out there. And I love Josh Gates' show as well. We've yep. talked about that. Yep. The two, because Ghost Hunters has been in a lot of places and they're very good at debunking evidence. But I remember the two distinct places where they captured 
evidence that was really hard to debunk, and they still have it to this day because it's very obvious something's moving that shouldn't be there, was St. Augustine Lighthouse. Leaning over the tower. Yep, and Eastern State Penitentiary. Walking away from the camera. Walking away from the camera. And I've been to both of those places and had weird encounters at both of those places. So I, I have to tend to lean towards the side that Something's going on that we can't explain. And until you give me concrete scientific evidence that this is what's happening, I'm forced to go with my imagination. Yeah. Because when you've got that much evidence and I'm, I love the mindset of debunk first. Don't automatically assume whatever you're seeing is paranormal. For me, debunking is almost as much fun as discovering something that you can't explain. It is because it gets the mind going and it, yeah. you kind of, you kind of feel like a scientist in a little bit. Boy. Yeah. I, my friend and I will go to a cemetery here in Connecticut. We haven't done it in a couple of years and it all started because she was there one day and got a clear as day EVP of somebody screaming, get out. Mm-hmm. And it's not just one get out. It's like banshee screen, get out, get out, get out. And we've gone there several times and almost always get chased away by bats, Mm. which is freaky enough. We caught a, uh, as we were walking, we decided we were going to take photos back of the space. And we caught what looks like a mason holding a giant torch. Clear as that you see somebody and you see this light that extends the entire row, you know. But when we were there, we didn't see it. Right, nothing. And when we went back, we discovered there is a mason buried there. That was the big point. The second time we went there, we're like, okay, we're going to check all these graves for the mason marking. And it's not that far from where the figure we caught was. Uh, I have a teacher that I had in high school that's buried in that cemetery. I'm talking to the grave, and you can see these lights flickering. There was no light source to my right where these lights were, but there is something responding to the to my voice. Right. And we think it may have been my teacher. I mean, that's the other thing too. A lot of the haunting stories that you do hear, they're not as malicious as I think people want them to think. They're not, not often because it, so let's, let's talk a little bit about this because there, there is there is a science behind this, kids. That's it's why these shows exist. But most people who are into the paranormal tend to agree that a spirit is left behind in this plane of existence because it has something unfinished. Something mm-hmm. it has to do. Something it has to say. And that's why it's always it, – a lot of it happens from the Victorian era – because I've heard people say, well, how come there aren't, like, modern ghosts? Well, because people live longer now and accomplish more. You know, there was a lot more sickness back then, a lot a lot of more premature death, a lot more war. Yeah. That I, I think I've, I've heard the statistic that more people have died. There, there are less people dying today than ever before, even with, like, high crime rates in cities and everything because yep. of the wars of the past. And modern medicine and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And all they're looking for is to just be at peace, which is why we should probably let them be at peace. But you know us. We're curious people. We're going to 
Go rubbing the darkness with a flashlight in an EVP recorder. As one does. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> so what's what's your uh, favorite place you've ever investigated? You mentioned the lighthouse. What are some other places? The, the cemetery, again. Um, I've been... Turns out that the uh, place, the last place I worked in New Jersey, was a World War II battleship. Uh, you know, there had been some stories, and the last thing I did as a worker there was to take a local group of ghost hunters, and I'm pretty sure it's the same group that Tango used to work for at one point through the ship. And so, you know, it was me and one other guide, and just two other groups of paranormal investigators though one other dude was not into the paranormal he just wanted to do it just to do something different i thought this was the perfect way for me to go out <laughs> it sure sounds like it and so and because you know me being a paranormal investigator i joined in as well and they because they figured the ghost would be familiar with me having seen me on the ship for a couple months and Again, I'm not 100% saying that this story is 100% accurate, but I'm not saying it's not. It is the one and only place I believe I've been touched by a spirit. We were in the captain's quarters doing an EVP session. And they, you know, I'm, I'm standing, I've got about a foot and a half of space to my left. And we're asking, you know, if there's anybody here, please give, you know, give us a sign of your presence. At that exact point, I felt a hand touch my left shoulder. There was nobody to my left. I was not close enough to touch the wall. I felt a distinct pat on my shoulder. Could the guy on my right have reached around to try to get a reaction? Sure. I didn't see a hand. I didn't feel anything. You know, I felt it, but I didn't see. There was no sound to my side. I would like to think that, again, because that's part of the tour, that whoever would have been in that room would have known me. I believe I, yeah, I will say I got touched, but I can't 100% prove it. Okay. I immediately yelled out, I got touched. <laughs> Anytime. Context, <I> please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only time it's a normal reaction. Of, <laughs> Wait, where? <laughs> yeah. Anytime I was the one to ask, you know, light up something on the EMF detector, let us know. Anytime I asked, it happened. Because, again, they were like, well, you were, you've been here. They know who you are. They're familiar with you. It's, you know, whenever the other people would say it, it was 50-50. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, again, I would love to actually investigate Eastern State. I went on a regular tour. We asked the guide about it, and he said no. But there's too many stories that – I just think he was trying to downplay it or maybe he just doesn't believe, which is a possibility. I don't, if you don't believe in the paranormal, that's fine. I know uh, it's not for everybody. <clears throat> Eastern state and Penhurst asylum, same thing. Like I went for the Halloween attractions and everything, but I remember a very weird feeling of something just being off and I can't really yep. describe it. But it was the same feeling at Eastern State that I had at Penhurst that I had at St. Augustine. If Something doesn't to, feel right. Yep. And if you ever go to St. Augustine, you have to go visit James because you will get that exact feeling because 
There's just something about that area. Maybe it's just because you believe all the hype and uh, maybe it's, there's something more to it because there's just too yes. much happening, too many weird connections to not have it happen. I've told you the story of my ex-girlfriend in uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, right? Yes, but tell it for the listeners. So, again, we're at St. Augustine doing the uh, doing the Ripley's Believe It or Not tour. I am a kid in a candy store anytime I'm in a haunted location. My ex, who her, she had a, she kind of believed because her grandmother was a sensitive. So she kind of believed, but wasn't 100% convinced until this night. So we're in this room. They're showing us a slideshow of orbs that people have taken during this tour. I'm not one of those people that automatically sees, you know, an orb or a dust particle and goes paranormal. Yeah. 99.9% of those are just dust particles. And light reflections and things yeah. like that. So in the middle of this, I see her twitch completely randomly. Like she never would have acted like that. And so about 10 minutes later, the tour guide goes, you know, there's supposedly two spirits in this room. One who is nasty and violent and angry and one who likes to flirt with women. He'll touch them. He'll, you know, blow on their ear. And I'm just, again, I'm not thinking about what I saw with her twitching. I just, you know, whatever. It was kind of cold in the room, something like that. Yeah, people twitch. Yeah. So uh, about 10 minutes later, they're like, Go play in the, go explore the building. And I noticed she's like walking way behind me now. I've got the EMF detector, like, because they will let you borrow EMF detectors. I brought my own. Of course. <laughs> and so finally she goes, I, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, what's up? She goes, I don't know how to say this without think, you thinking I'm crazy. And I go, look at who you're talking to. And she goes, so you saw me, did you see me flinch in the in the room? I said, yeah, what was that about? And she goes, answer me a question. Was it before or after she talked about the ghost who flirts? I said, it was before. Why? She goes, I felt a hand on my thigh. And so she raises her jean shorts up a little bit, and there is a thumbprint on her thigh. I got touched. <laughs> <laughs> and so I can tell she's visibly shaken. And so I go, okay, we're leaving now. And she goes, this is your thing. I said, no, 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 no. We're going home. Our hotel was, you know, five minutes from there. It starts raining as we're walking back. So we start running. This was the day that I'd thrown the ball over the fence to James. And so we're just kind of chilling in the room for a bit. And, you know, it stops raining. And I said, you know, I'm going to go check the ball. It's, you know, a 20-minute walk. I'll be back soon. And she goes, the hell you are. You ain't leaving me alone right now. <laughs> I was like, all right, are you okay to walk? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. So we leave the hotel again, and we are walking in front of the oldest schoolhouse. And she lets out this blood-curdling scream. And I'm like, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? She goes, there's somebody in the window. And I look up to the schoolhouse, and sure enough, 
you can see a face looking out at us. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's just, just go quickly. Let's check the ball and go back. You know, ball moves, blah, blah, blah. We go back. The next morning, we're like, before we leave for to go home, I want to check the ball again. And I go, I want to see something real quick. So she's like walking very slowly past the schoolhouse. And she doesn't want to look up. And sure, you know, there's an auto animatronic in the window. Okay. That's what she saw. But she was still so freaked from the night before that she didn't process that. And she just saw a face staring at it. I mean, I can totally understand that. Uh, pretty much all of St. Augustine is, you know, a dream. I went to the old jail, which, again, Ghost Hunters did do an episode from there. I caught what looked to be I, – I didn't see it with my own eyes, but, again, the whole process is you want to take as many pictures as you can and then kind of debunk from there. I caught what looked like a red blur running past one of the – jail cells and the camera that i had had an auto uh, had an auto enhancement feature i i love this camera i wish it still worked i hit the auto enhance on it you know the, the red blur i caught was about half the size of the bars you hit the auto enhance it's the entire size of the bars <laughs> years later i'm at interventions i'm i just come back from one of the trips and i'm reading a book that i got about the paranormal in saint augustine in that book is the exact image that I captured, just from a different angle. Wow. There you go. I freaked out. I almost fell off my chair. I'm like, oh, and somebody's like, what? I'm like, nothing. You wouldn't understand. That's crazy, though, because, again, that's part of the part of the discovery. Like, oh. Yeah, there's no way I could have planned that, that I take this picture, you know, a year later, I'm looking at an image that I didn't take in a published book. That you're just like, uh, that's the same thing. <laughs> that's in black and white. Mine's in color. But that's yeah, the same. it's a slightly different angle, but it looks the exact same. Corporate easy to find the f- differences in these pictures. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same picture. I want to ask you this uh, regarding regarding the uh, wonderful world of cryptozoology and the the fun creatures that are out there. And there's so many of them. Yeah. <clears throat> Which ones do you think are the... Uh, a, are your favorite, and then B, the most plausible. I'm going to say my, my favorite is definitely going to be Loch Ness Monster. I'm not 100% convinced that it's real. I want it to be. I want all of this stuff to be real. You know, I've made a, a career out of, you know, looking up at the sky and, you know, buying hundreds of dollars of equipment for ghosts. I want it to be real. But, you know, like you said, until we have 100% Cannot deny there's always going to be doubt. Uh, I honestly think that, you know, the chupacabra, I think, is real. It, it may not be, you know, a blood-sucking creature like the legend tells, but there's some creature out there that will match exactly what you hear about the chupacabra. And I want to say a Bigfoot type. It may not be Bigfoot itself, but Every culture has their own version of that, just like every culture seems to have their own Loch Ness Monster. Lake Champlain has Lake has Champy. You know, I want the Jersey Devil to be real. Do I actually believe that, you know, the bastard son of 99? No, because 
it just doesn't make sense. But the stories are cool. The stories are cool. And the stories also change quite often. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, what's funny is we, we focus so much on the Bigfoots and Loch Ness Monsters of the World. I think it kind of – cryptozoology really kind of stems back to, you know, the witches of Salem and yep. vampires and werewolves and yep. things that people were, were convinced were, were real because there was mysterious things happening they couldn't explain. And word of mouth and the telephone game can create so many different yeah. – Purple so, monkey dishwasher. Yep. In fact, uh, the the best – Deep proof I've ever seen for a Sasquatch or a Sasquatch, depending on the pronunciation, has been because I've seen the video of what happens when a bear gets its paw severed and what they look like when they're on two legs just ambling through the woods. Yeah. And it sure looks like it could be some kind of Sasquatch from a distance. So I feel like that's the most likely scenario. But then also think about how isolated the Himalayan mountains are. You don't know what the heck's out there. And there are plenty of people who, well, you know, if you heard the stories about Mount Everest and how many corpses are on it. People don't live to tell some of these tales. And you as a scientist will understand this fact as well. Every year we discover new creatures. Mm-hmm. It may not be the size of a Bigfoot, but there are so many. Like, You think about the rainforest. They say that like 6% of it has been discovered which means there's 94% that have creatures that we have never seen. Yep. Insects, reptiles, fish. I was going to say, next thing is the ocean. Same thing. There are fish being discovered every year that we have never seen before. And you can't say, oh, that's not real. Yeah, it's real. That's the scary part is those things are real. I've seen what's at the bottom of the ocean. We don't have to go exploring any deeper. I'm good. I've seen some of that stuff. I've seen what's on the top of the ocean. and. Like the blobfish and the yeah, I remember um, and I laughed so hard because you know I'm a I'm a big Animal Crossing player when they actually put the barrel eye as one of the fish you can catch. That thing is freaky. It's got a transparent head. No thanks. Hard pass. <laughs> and the coelacanth, a, a fish that's been thought to be extinct, it turns out it's very much still alive. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing. There's plenty of stories like that where we. Thought, oh, they all died. No, we just couldn't find them. There's yeah, a big difference. Can't find it exactly, which is also why they've they've said that. Uh, it's it also goes back to the whole theory of life in the universe and how people believe it's very high because you know the, the most common elements in the universe are what make up a human body: hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen, and then. I've also heard this theory, and I don't know if you subscribe to this too, but the idea of there being life, the the universe is actually teeming with life, but it's more likely we're going to find something similar to the dinosaur age than our modern technology age. Yeah. Just undeveloped worlds where they're no, they don't have that technology, but there's life. Again, if you've watched any of the Josh Gates TV shows, he goes through a lot of <laughs> cultures like that. Yeah. That are still alive, that are still functioning, that have never seen a cell phone. You know, they, they, this big camera crew comes into their town and they're just like, huh? What, what's on that guy's shoulder? Yeah. We have, we have them here in Pennsylvania. They're called the Amish. <laughs> I, I don't, th- I don't think I have a high uh, listenership of Amish folk on this podcast, but uh, all respect to the Amish. They, they, they're, 
actually a very, very nice people. One might even say they're living in an Amish paradise. I might say that. A little hint for plugs coming up later. So, yeah, I I, kind of tend to agree with you about the Chupacabra, too. I just feel like there's probably... Some kind of weird, weird species of predatory animal that just hasn't been properly identified. And you know what? It just so happens that goats are its favorite food because they're plentiful. (laughs) Ever consider that? And they're easy to attack. Yep. Goats, you know, yes, they might headbutt you. But when you've got – they're not going to bite you. When you've got teeth and claws of what they say a chupacabra has, goats got no chance. No, the goat loses that battle. I hate to say because I know people who uh, have goats on their farms. I hate to say it, but your goats and your chickens are losing that battle. Every single time. <clears throat> yes, because if, if it is some kind of predatory animal, whether it's a canine or – I mean that's – the general idea, Chupacabra appears to be more mammal-like than reptilian, I think, right? Yeah. If we're yeah. going to – Because there's fur. There's fur. Okay, yeah. So if we're taking that approach, it's not like the hodgepodge of the Jersey Devil, where yeah. it's yeah. where it's a bird, a mammal, and a reptile all mixed in one. And human-like, and it's just it's just an affront to nature, apparently. And nature had an orgy, and that's what create what came out. <laughs> it's one of nature's rejects, and they're just like, where do we put it? New Jersey. I mean. Let's be honest. <laughs> I grew up there. I get it. I get it. All due respect to New Jersey, but I, but I get it. All right, guys. Uh, we're going to take our final break here. When we come back, we're going to dive into the mailbag, and Jeff is going to answer your questions. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Not so humble broadcast. We'll be back. Hey everybody, this is Dan Peck, letting you know that you can join myself, Chris, and other members of the CKCC community on Twitch each and every week. From video game playthroughs, interactive quizzes and trivia, or just hanging out, there's always something happening on Twitch. So go to twitch.tv slash online to join the fun, and make sure you subscribe so you never miss out. Not So Humble broadcast back on the air, and if you like this episode, remember to hit that subscribe button. Make sure that you're tuning into all the great programs on CKCC Radio, because it's not just me. You'll hear about a couple in a minute here. But first, we're going to dive into the mailbag, and Jeff is going to answer your questions. You ready to answer a little Q&A? Let's do this. Let's go. So this first question comes from a good friend of ours, Chris Wright. What was your most unsettling paranormal experience? Oh, that's a good one. Unsettling. I would I don't think that I've truly had an unsettling one. I would think that I've got EVPs where you can definitely hear conversations that again, there was you I didn't hear anything when it happened. To me, it's always a weird feeling when you record something and you get something, which obviously was the intention, but then you're left saying, what the actual F? <laughs> right? Like, I, another friend of mine and I went to a different cemetery, and it's August in Connecticut. Nothing should be cold. We felt cold spots. Yeah. Just, and then we decided, okay, I have a uh, thermal imager. 
there is something blue next to me. <laughs> and for those who don't know, you know, they say that spirits have to draw energy out of the air to make themselves known. And so that's why whenever you hear the words cold spot, that's what it is, is they're taking the heat. Nothing should have been cold in August, <laughs> but clear as day, there is what looks like a child size that only comes up to about my hip complete. And I'm red and this is completely cold. <laughs> yeah. Nothing should be cold in August except my no. heart, yes. my cold heart. Yeah. And I remember like, Going into buildings that were supposedly haunted and going down to like the basement in the dead of summer, and it's like thir- it's like freezing down there. Yeah, that's why because and you know what the do argument we know- can be made that you know there's no heat in there. The lower you get, because heat rises, so yeah, that would make a little bit of sense, but it shouldn't be that drastic that you're shivering. Well, what is energy? Heat. Yeah. Yeah. If they're taking the heat out of the air to manifest themselves, of course it's going to feel cold. That's where they got the energy from. All right. Next question comes from Adrian of Vernon, New Jersey. Hey, I know her. Have you been able to convince others of the existence of otherworldly things? And if so, how? I'm the only one in my family that actually believes in anything. And recently, my brother sent me pictures and he's like, uh, is this a UFO? And I'm looking at these pictures and these videos he's sending me. And I'm like, I've got no explanation for it. And that to me, again, UFOs don't necessarily automatically mean alien. That's, uh, again, something people need to understand. UFO truly means something you just cannot, you can't identify. You can't, you can't look at something in the sky and be like, I don't know what that is. Therefore, it's aliens. Yeah. So for I took pride in the fact that my brother, who used to laugh at me for my belief in the paranormal, all of a sudden goes, I think I saw a UFO. The only thing that somebody who does not believe, for them to completely change their mind, they need to experience it themselves. Exactly. Because I can show you you things. And like you said, people are going to find their own doubts and say, you know, oh, no, that's that's not real. Until somebody witnesses it themselves, they can easily, you know, dispel anything. Until that experience happens, that's the only way people are going to believe. Right. I mean, quickly tying this back to the theme parks real quick. I had always heard the disaster ride was haunted. And I wanted to believe it, but it wasn't until I actually heard someone walking in the rafters and looked up and saw no one there. And everybody around me was looking up because they all heard it too. That was where it, where a lot of that stuff comes from. And sometimes you also kind of need that witness on your side too. Yeah. Like you heard it. I heard it. She heard it. He heard it. There's no and, doubt and the there. People that witness it, that hear it. It's, you can't dispel that. It's one thing for me to just go, Oh, I heard something. So the building must be haunted because I'm a paranormal investigator. <laughs> exactly. But if, you know, five people go, wait, you heard that too? Wait, you heard that? What? Then, and that's when people are going to be like, wait, that maybe there's more to it than I understood. All right. Uh, Adrian, second question. Since you worked at more than one Disney attraction and venue, what was your favorite to work and what was your least favorite to work? I had already said Segway, and then I'm going to say house. And my big problem with the house was 
it was too repetitive. Like with all the other games, you could at least change up what you say. With the House of Interventions or the Vision House, what it was called later, you had to be 100% on script. There wasn't much leeway for yeah. improvising. Um, Mission Space Race was always fun, especially if you had somebody fun with you. You've seen the movie Super Troopers, right? Oh, yeah. I own it. <laughs> uh, me and a guy that I used to work with over at Mission Space Race played the Meow game. <laughs> that would have been great. We said it 40 times in the time of one game. <laughs> now, behind me is the mission space. <laughs> we just we had to do it because when you repeat the same things over and over again, it's so easy to just go into autopilot. I mm-hmm. lost myself so many times because I just stopped thinking. Because I'd done it so many times. And then I want, like, there was one time I repeated the same part of the speech three times before I caught myself saying it again. Like, <laughs> I got the strangest look and I'm like, I said that already, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to move on then. I remember going through shows and being like, I have no memory of what I just did. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was just the, an autopilot. Yeah. It's easy to do that because you've done it 800 times. Oh, what's another five? Yeah. Was there ever anything in Interventions that you always wanted to work but never got a chance to? No, because like, like I would have liked to have done some of all thrills, but I also there was so much technical stuff to it because like every other venue that was there, I got to work. Like any of the host hostess stuff that was there, at least I didn't do anything on the west side when I was a host hostess. That was all. I was only on east side. But as far as like the presenter stuff, I was I got to work every venue. I got to experience everything that Interventions had. All-time favorite attraction at the Disney parks and all-time least favorite attraction. Well, I will do least first. Um, I'm going to say Voyage of the Little Mermaid. I watched it once and I fell asleep. <laughs> I went with a friend of mine and her daughter. And within five minutes of it, I felt a tap on my shoulder like, get up. No. Uh, <laughs> other than other than rock and roller coaster, what are, what are the what are the big ones for you? Always loved Test Track. Always loved Mission Space. Never threw up on Mission Space, but I've witnessed it. I <laughs> I thankfully never witnessed it. But I was coming back from a break, and I opened the door from cast services to walk in, and the first image I saw was somebody in the, with their head. In the trash can. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it by park because, again, you know, I've done everything pretty much on the parks. Uh, Magic Kingdom, obviously, Pirates and Haunted Mansion. The classics. The yeah. True blue classics. Yep. Um, studios, like I said, I already did. Uh, Animal Kingdom, got to go with you, Kilimanjaro. <laughs> you know. That it was is the so one much thing. fun, like, though. I always had to do that. Yeah. Like, my least favorite in Animal Kingdom would probably be Dinosaur, because it was way too jerky and way too loud. Also, they have it in Disneyland. It's called Indiana Jones, and it's way better. I said what I said, people. Come at me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even been there, and I will agree to that. <laughs> because I, it's Indiana Jones. <clears throat> I always liked the Dinosaur ride, but I agree with you. It was... It was unnecessary unnecessary motion happening. Yeah. Again, it was the same thing with, like, Back to the Future. 
I loved the ride, but it was way too jerky. Same thing even with the Spider-Man ride. I yeah. think it jerked a little too much. Spider-Man can kind of flitch around a little bit. And then um, did you have a least favorite at Magic Kingdom? Small World. Aww. <laughs> Again, the... The, uh... the Nickelback of the Magic Kingdom? <laughs> Nickelback does not deserve that. <laughs> And X, uh, the the X that I uh, talked about that when we were on Haunted Mansion, one day we were at Magic Kingdom, just me and her, and she just kept going, "Will you, will you ride? It's a small world with me." And I go, "No, not even for you." <laughs> and f- for an hour, I just heard "small world, small world, small world, small world, small world." I'm like, Becca, will you please shut up? She goes, "There's only way for one way for you to shut me up." Small world. I'm like, fine, I'll go. Half. That was the other thing. The, the first day I went to Magic Kingdom, I went on all the rides that I went on as a kid. I'm like, I'm going to re-experience this as an adult. And I came upon It's a Small World. And I said, I don't remember this as a kid. There's, there's not a way. That's why. I put I'm it out of my memory. I put it out of my memory. That's why. <laughs> about, ten, like about five minutes into the ride, I said to the you know driver, I said, can I swim back? <laughs> Uh, I'm also going to give a shout out. I loved a uh, great movie ride because of, again, movie buff mm-hmm. getting to experience that. A couple of my friends worked there and I'm, I got so jealous of that. If I, you asked if there was a ride I would have worked, it would have been a great movie, movie ride. ride. Okay. Yeah. I always said, uh, I, I never wanted to work magic kingdom ever, no, but, no. but give me haunted mansion. If you're putting me there, give me my mansion. Cause I would have loved it. I would have had a blast at that. And you know what? Because of Safari, I would have take done my hand at the Jungle Cruise. I would have tried okay. it. Yeah, yeah. All right. You, I know the you answer. Get to say the worst joke ever repeatedly and enjoy it. And I would have delivered it with such a deadpan delivery that I probably would have gotten a laugh because I always, I always did that in my head. Yep. Look, backside of water. Because the best skippers were the ones who were either so deadpan. Yep. But on purpose, deadpan, not the not the bored college program kid that's hungover. The actual, like, they know exactly what they're doing, and you can tell the difference. And then the one who was too excited to be there, because they just made it fun. Oh, and my other least favorite uh, Animal Kingdom would have been the, uh, uh, the water ride, because I almost died on it. Okay, fair enough. My seatbelt broke. Oh, that'll, that'll do it. And I Thankfully for the person next to me, they grab my ankle as I'm almost out the boat. Cali River Rapids. That's wow. it, Cali River. Yeah, I did that twice, and I'm like, nope, never again. Almost died on it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Disney. I'm gonna as as Jeff gets on the phone with Stephen P. New, just immediately as soon as he gets off the ride. That, that's it. You're done. Yep. Nope. Nope. I'm done. You're done. <clears throat> All right. Um, I know the answer to this, but what's your favorite Disney character? Stitch. It's <laughs> a good answer. Is Le- would you say Lilo and Stitch is your favorite movie? On top of that, or no, actually, okay. My my favorite Disney movie is Aladdin. Okay. Robin Williams, genie. Yep. And then for Gilbert me, Gottfried. Three, <laughs> yep. And then for me, number three is uh, Emperor's New Groove. Oh, which is a phenomenal movie. Phenomenal movie. First DVD I ever bought. Still have Oops. it to this day. I I'm pretty sure I still have it too. 
Right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of segue this towards plugs a little bit, but the next question ties into something we haven't talked about yet. Jeff, you're a published author. Yes, I am. You've got books available on Amazon. We're gonna talk about them here. And here's a, uh, a fun question. This comes from our friend Dan Peck. What do you do to get into writing mode and can you sometimes force it? You can force it, but it'll never come out good. I have written stuff that I'm like, I need to write a thousand words today. I'm just going to sit here. And then you go back and you read it and you're like, garbage, garbage, garbage. Okay, that was a good line. Garbage, garbage, delete. (laughs) Um, The best thing you can do, writer's block is real. Do not question it. The best advice I have when you have writer's block is to write something that is not related to the story that you're working on. Yes, you taught me that. Yep. Get the creative juices flowing some other way. And then also think, okay, I'm at point, you know, C at this point. How do I get to point D? What do I need to happen to get to the next point? Okay, there it is. Okay. You have to take yourself out of that situation, play a song, go for a short walk, take your mind away from what you're doing, and then come back refreshed. Yes, which I've actually heard from Dan Peck, who actually threw this at me when I was having um, some creative block on some of the stuff happening on this channel. He said, I've heard that if you like come home from your job and you can't get into creative mode to take a nap and it differentiates the workday from the creative night. And I've tried that a couple of times and I'm not a big nap guy, but let me tell you, it's been working. (laughs) So Yeah, it basically... Your mind is an Etch-A-Sketch, and you are shaking it up. Whatever was on it before is now completely gone, and you get to start fresh with whatever you had going on before is no longer an issue. Yes, absolutely. All right, and then this question comes from, this is uh, how he would like to be credited, so I'm going to read it exactly. Author of the AWO books available on Amazon. (laughs) That's how he would like to be credited, and that's perfectly fine with me. What's something that has sparked an idea for you? The best ideas that I've come up with have come out of the blue. There is a twist in one of my books called The Time Traveler's Journal that I did not even plan on. I had no intent of this ever happening. And then I just I wanted to come up with something that was slightly unexpected. And I'm like, I don't know what I want to do, though. I don't know where I want to take the story other than, you know, again, you want to go point A to B, B to C. And I I wanted to go, but what if I go from C to CC to D? Wait a minute. I just came up with something that I was 75% done with the book when I came up with this plot twist that I'm like, didn't see coming myself, which means the reader hopefully won't see it coming as well. (laughs) Because that's what you want to do. You know, it's one thing to surprise the reader. But when you surprise yourself with a plot twist, you know it's going to be something that the reader will not expect. Absolutely. The best plot twists are the ones that no one saw coming. Including the author. Including the author. Um, This question is going to actually tie into your movie review podcast, which, again, we'll talk about when we get to plugs in just a moment here. This comes from Matt from the Race Nerd Podcast, our friend here on CKCC Radio. 
with you being a Kevin Smith fan, what's your favorite Kevin Smith film? Clerks. Clerks was the one that got me on track with it. You know, obviously it's his first film. It's the only movie I've ever seen twice in one day. There are so many things about Clerks that, you know, I can tie in. I, I have a Randall name tag from Disney. <laughs> That's awesome. And you can't just say, oh, I want a name tag that says so-and-so. I lied because they said that you could either just have your first name or your middle name as your on your name tag. My middle name is Robert, but, you know, it just says Jeff R., so when I went into costuming one day, I said, my middle name is Randall. And a week later, I had a Randall name tag. With the one spelled with one L, right? Yep. Just like, yep. You know, his name, the actor's name is Jeff. Yes, it is. <laughs> Jeff Anderson. He's a sarcastic, obsessed, you know, movie obsessed guy. I mean, that is me. I am the sarcastic a-hole at times. Well, that I think actually ties in perfectly to what Matt's second question was. What view askew character are you the most like? Oh, it's Randall. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think yeah, you no, already answered that. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Like, And Randall's story from Clerks 1 to Clerks 2 to Clerks 3 is so perfectly told. Mm -hmm. Like, there are times that, like, I look at Randall and go, I don't know too many people who would actually want to be his friend, especially at points in the third movie, because he comes off like in the first two movies, he comes off kind of as a jerk, but a, a, a good jerk. There are times in Clerks 3, he comes off just as a jerk jerk. And then the twist happens. Oh, my God. The and you're gut just like, punch. Yeah. There, you should not be crying at a Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> but Kevin Smith has now made me cry at multiple movies. Yeah, but he is, and he's grown so much as a filmmaker through, you know, the 10 so movies he's done. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, as far as other ones, I got to go with any of the uh, Jason Lee characters. <laughs> uh, Jason Except Lee's for, so you know, Jason Lee and Dogma. You're not a you're not a demon sent to sent from hell to. I, no, I would say that Dogma is probably my second favorite Kevin Smith movie. It's been forever since I've seen it because it's so hard because it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah, Dogma is the I, first one I ever saw. Uh, my friend Carmine, who used to work at a video store, was the one that showed me Clerks while he was working at a video store. Of course, because that's how it works. And guess where I was working at at the time? A convenience store. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is poetry in motion, right? Yeah. Here's what this is. All right. So, Jeff, we have some plugs to get in here because I want to talk. We're uh, First off, tell everybody what you do here on CKCC Radio. I have three different podcasts. We talked about my movie podcast, which is uh, Reviews by Jeff. I do those basically whenever I want to. I'm going to try to make sure to do one per month. Uh, I tried to do that last year and failed miserably. <laughs> I only think I did seven, which I'm not including the two year-end podcasts. That, those do not count. I want to talk about – and they're not always going to be movies that are new in theaters. 
I do a project every year where I watch 45 new movies, 45 movies I have never seen from the classics to just movies I wanted to see. I'm up to two so far this year. I watched The American President okay. with Michael Douglas, and I watched a movie called Sleeping with Other People, which is a comedy romance mix. There's like five people in the movie that you're like, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. I've seen that person's sitcom because it's Jason Sudeikis. It's uh, Adam Scott is the villain in the movie. That was great. <laughs> All right. Well, with now a, I have to see it. <laughs> with a mustache. <laughs> That's just terrible. Um, yeah. So many people in that movie. And I, I enjoyed it. But right now, American President is number one. Um, I do know that coming soon to Peacock is a little movie called Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. So I will be watching that. Uh, I've got so many movies that I, I want to watch. Uh, every year, I also will watch 20 rewatches. So there's always going to be a Kevin Smith movie in there. I watched Clerks uh, 1 at the end of last year because I needed a comfort movie. And, you know, what better comfort movie than Clerks? <laughs> well, I did a full – I think you remember this. When Clerks 3 came out, I did a full rewatch of the entire View universe. And I watched all of it. I watched the uh, – the groovy cartoon movie, which I did not care for, but I also watched no, Reboot, which I good. hadn't seen. That I, Reboot I, has its moments, but I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And then, of course, it was the, the classics that we've seen hundreds of times. Your Clerks from Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, which I can quote. I mean, I've seen those. I don't want to yeah. know how many times I've seen those movies, actually. When I rewatched Clerks, I said the entire movie along with the dialogue. Yep. Like, I've seen it so many times that you know, I may have a word or two missed, but yeah, no. The last movie I watched last year was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's just another movie that I can quote the entire movie. Oh, to. yeah. Classic. So do you have an all-time favorite movie other than it's Clerks? Close. Uh, for number two, it's probably the o, uh, the OG Avengers. Okay. And at one point, that topped Clerks, but I'm like, it's recency bias, so no. Yeah. Uh, I've dropped it down to two. I would put Ferris Bueller in there. I would put Empire Strikes Back in there. Uh, any of the Back to the Future movies, I will defend th- two and three. You know, are they the same story as one? Yes. Do I care? No. They're all good. <laughs> yep. Back to the Future 3 is not bad. I think people just get taken out of the element. It's yeah. fun. It's yeah. not – It's. It's not as good as the first two, but it's fun. That's the because point. they wanted to do something different. Where the first two were all about Marty, and they're like, "Well, let's do something for Doc this time." Yeah. Besides Kevin Smith, do you have a favorite filmmaker? Cameron Crowe, probably. Okay, that's a good one. You know, I two not years one ago who I comes watched up that little, often either. No, he asked the question. Almost Famous is one of my favorite movies. I need to rewatch that. It's been forever since I've seen that. I love almost. You talk about the first DVD you own. Almost Famous was the first DVD Very I own. Nice. <clears throat> All right, uh, let's talk about your other shows. Well, let's talk about Ranking Tracks. Ranking Tracks was in the second podcast, and I uh, to this day I'll remember where I came up with it. I was literally sitting at a restaurant eating, and I'm like, you know, I like this song. I probably don't know anything else off this album. Wait a minute. What if I? What if I just sit down and listen to every song off an album? And then 
you know, I kind of wanted to do another podcast because I had the first podcast. I'm like, that would be something different. And I don't really know of any other podcast that does that. And unfortunately, the restaurant I was at is no longer there anymore. It closed due to COVID. But yeah, I just decided I was going to sit down, listen to every single song on an album, and then review it, rank the songs in my preference. And I didn't just want to do the same album. So I try to switch decades every time. I don't want to do all 80s because I've done almost all of the 80s at this point. <laughs> I've done more 80s by like 15 over the next decade. So, And that's with me going, I'm taking a break from the 80s. Like I'll go two months without doing an 80s because I've done so many of them. And yet I sit there and go, oh, I have to do this one. And I have to do this one. And I, oh, shit, I have so much 80s stuff. To <laughs> have you had any albums that you've reviewed that really surprised you? Like you enjoyed it way more than you thought you were going to? Sam Cooke. Uh-huh. I was not a Sam Cooke fan until I sat down and listened to that album. And I, I would say Sam Cooke is definitely in my top, top 10. Like I've known three Sam Cooke songs and one of them was on the album that I was going to do. And I'm like, well, you know, I know this song mostly because of a movie, which makes perfect sense. Uh, Have you ever seen the movie inner space? I have not. And again, it ties in because it's basically an old Disney attraction where, uh, do you remember the attraction body wars? I do. It's basically the premise of the movie where somebody gets shrunk and put into a, another human. And so it's Dennis Quaid is the test pilot who winds up in Martin Short. <laughs> what a combination. <laughs> and it's the movie where Dennis Quaid met Meg Ryan because she plays the love interest. And there's a scene where he's uh, singing a song to her, and it's a Sam Cooke song. And so that basically was the one Sam Cooke I was like, I really know this song. Oh, I've kind of heard this song before, and I think I've heard parts of this one. Let me just sit down and, you know, because I wanted to do something that got me out of my comfort zone. And so I sat down and listened to a Sam Cooke album, and I'm like, this is phenomenal. I then went, I want this song, I want this song, I want this song, (laughs) to the point where uh, two years ago he was one of my most played artists on Spotify because I listened to so much of it. That's, That's a great way to discover new music, too. Like new music that's not new. It's you know it was new to me, but you know Sam Cooke's been right. dead for fifty years. Sure, but that's the other thing. Like new music is still new to you. Yeah, you know a new movie. If I ever actually sat down and watched the jazz singer, it would yep. be new to me. I've never yep. seen it. It's the first talkies, but I've never actually sat down and watched it. I know all about it. The worst album I've listened to on this podcast, and I, I love the artist, but it was a horrible album, was by Sting. I, I love the first track off the album, and I'm like, oh, they're all happy and peppy, and this is going to be great. And then it wasn't. And then he retired against the Young Bucks. Yes. <laughs> and then, of course, the longest-running podcast on CKCC Radio. Real Paranormal Talk, which, for those who don't know, was actually supposed to be a joint podcast with... Yeah. You. And so I like we agreed to do it and then he, you know Chris is like I I got so much going on I, I won't be able to do it. I'm like that's fine. Is it okay if I still do it? And he said go with it and you know I'm now on 102 I think or 103. 
That's and so again, crazy you know, too how how long that show's been going on. And <clears throat> let's talk about uh, some of your favorite some of your favorite things you've talked about on Real Paranormal Talk. You've you've done your own personal experiences. You've played some of your own some of your own readings. You've done live out in the field. Yep, I would say my favorite would be my Dustin Perry interview. Yes, uh, he's one of the ghost hunters. He pops up every once in a while on Ghost Hunters that's still on the air. That was a fun interview. I had technical issues and I felt so bad having him wait. And I'm like, I'm sorry. He goes, it happens to me all the time. And oh, once yeah. the interview started going, cause, and we talked about other things that not just paranormal. Uh, he's a big wrestling fan. So we talked about wrestling. He's a big Elvis fan. So we talked about, cause I follow him on, you know, social media. So I knew some of the other things to bring up and he's just like, wow, I can't believe you even knew that. I'm like, well, you talked about it. So if, I'm following you on social media, you know, I'm going to bring it up while I can because, it, you know, I want to just do more than talk about ghosts. I'll have to reach he, out to him. Maybe yeah, I can he, grab him for this show. He is a, uh, he also writes books. He's written several books as well. He tours the country doing presentations and I've, I've seen him now twice. So I've met the guy and I don't think he realizes I'm the one that interviewed him because he does so many of the, you know, small podcasts. So. Sure, sure. But that is still pretty cool. Yeah. I have a funny story about that episode because I was so excited to listen to it. I put it on on my phone while I was doing my, at, at the time, the delivery route I was working on and a torrential downpour hit and drowned out what he was saying. And I started cursing very loudly at the weather because I couldn't <laughs> hear the interview. <laughs> I keep hoping – I was trying to get him for the 100th episode, and I think he kind of forgot about it. But, again, when you're as busy as he is, it's understandable. So sure. uh, I'm still hoping to get more interviews because I enjoy the process of interviewing as I obviously enjoy being interviewed. Uh, there's quite a few people that I've tried to reach out to. Uh, one of the other guys actually – I used to work with a woman who was on Haunted Collector. And so she set me up with one of the other paranormal investigators that was on that show. And we keep trying to get him on the show, but schedules don't always work out. So sure. I ah. still have hope that he'll be on one day. Cause he's I know that on. pain for how long I've been doing this. I know that pain. And, uh, then, uh, and then I was going to say then, yeah, the, in the field ones are always fun because, you know, it's one thing for me to talk about an experience or, you know, what it's like to be in the field. It's another to just take my mic out, go somewhere and let you, the listener. Uh, when I did the one at Nathan Hale Park where I got the completely random gongs that I still can't explain that sound like, you know, something. And you didn't hear things. them yeah. when you were doing I, it. You heard them in post. Yeah. Like there's no way I could not have heard them in person. It's so like crazy. they were that loud, but yet, Nothing. So I, I'm hoping this summer to go back to where I was to try to disprove them. Maybe I was hitting the recorder against the bar. Like again, right, I can right. do that on other bars here, but it won't have the same sound. Right. So yeah. Part of the disproving though. That's part of the process. Yeah. Yep. And then we're uh, we're running low on time here, so I don't want to. But I want to be reminiscent if I didn't ask you to talk about the books. So, yeah, I have uh, six books out now. 
been working on the seventh book for <laughs> three years now. It would help if I actually sat down and worked on it. But yeah, I, when I went through the divorce that I had mentioned earlier, I needed something to occupy my time. I had lost my job, so I couldn't do that. And a friend of mine that used to work at Interventions had just published a book. And I reached out to him to congratulate him on that. And it occurred to me, and again, nothing against Jeremy, but I said, you know, if he can write a book, I can write a book. And so I wrote my first book called Everything Comes Full Circle. And I decided, okay, my first book should be something familiar. And I took the concept of the high school that I grew up in did not have our own auditorium. We uh, And I was in the theater department. And so they got one not too long ago. And I came up with this idea of, well, how would a small town in New England celebrate a new auditorium? By bringing back the most successful show that they ever had, the only show that ever had all sellouts. Now, for us, it was Fiddler on the Roof. I didn't want to use that. You know, obviously, I don't have the rights to, you know, say, oh, this person played Tevia in a play. So I just created this own, you know, short thing. And I was like, each person in this book is going to be based off somebody that was in the play that I worked on. And then I did my uh, paranormal books because I, you know, obviously I do what you know. So I did the three paranormal contact movies. Fun fact, the original paranormal contact was supposed to be paranormal activity. But mm. as I was writing that, a certain movie came out. <laughs> Gee, I wonder and what I'm movie like, that well, was. I can't call it that. <laughs> uh, then I was like, okay, I want to do something a little bit different. And that's where the Time Traveler's Journal comes in. And I thought about the, you know, the JFK assassination and how bad it's got to be for the families that are connected to that, but aren't the people that did it. And I said, how far would you go to clear your family's name from something that you yourself didn't do? And so that's where the uh, paranormal or that's where Time Traveler's Journal came in. And then I wanted to do something else completely different because Again, just like with the movie podcast, if you do the same thing over and over again, it gets boring. So I wanted to take kind of a murder mystery and do a fun, fun-ish story about a guy who gets obsessed at the time of a reunion. Because I, I seem to have a reunion thing going. Because you could say that there's a reunion in every one of my books. And, you know, a guy gets obsessed with the homecoming queen right about the time of his high school uh Reunion and, you know, put in this murder mystery happening at the same time, trying to do something different with that. And I thought, you know, eh, it was probably my weakest effort. But again, it was me stepping out of my comfort zone. Can you shed any details on the book you're working on? Easily. Uh, and again, I, I, I want to finish this book. It basically takes the story of Friday the 13th meets Ghost Hunters. Oh. Where where a group of ghost hunters goes to a camp that had a mass murder happen to try to film the pilot of their TV show. And then stuff starts happening and they're like, wait a minute. It's, you know, cause they'd always heard maybe there was, maybe it was haunted, but maybe there's also a serial killer there. That's, and so one of the people has a connection to the original murders 
and there's just a a lot of conflict and I, I've learned a lot from what I had started because I realized, you know, as an author, you're going to realize what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And I realized what my weakness is, is I don't do a lot of dialogue or I do too much dialogue. And so with this one, I've learned to put in more non-dialogue, okay. more, you know, inner thoughts and descriptions and stuff like that. So atmosphere. Yep. Yeah. Because I think for something like this, you kind of need that. It's to set the spooky aspect of it. So, um, I when I the last time I worked on it, to be honest, was twenty twenty one. It it's been a while, right? Um, well, but maybe I, maybe now you'll after doing this podcast, you'll be like, it's time. It's time. It's time. It's Vader time. It's right in time. You right need in to time. Put put a put a put a Vader figure next to your computer <laughs> where you write and make <laughs> your reminder uh, of Big Van and Darth. Well, let's go full circle with that. Have them side by side. Yeah, the the ultimate Vaders. And then um, we'll we'll end your interview with one final question from me. What kind of advice would you give to someone like me who would like to publish their first book? I've given you all the advice that I can because you and I have talked about this many times. And again, I will say exactly what I said the first time you asked me for advice. Don't write to become famous. Don't write to make money. Write to make yourself happy. Write to give yourself something to do. Write because you want to. You know, you're going to struggle as an independent author because there's probably about 500,000 of us out there that are trying to sell our books. Maybe you, you know, sell 10. Maybe you sell 100. Any book that you sell is a victory. Do you know the story of the the movie The Martian? The story of the movie? Like the, you know the you know the movie The Martian, correct? Yeah, yeah, I know it came from a book. I Yeah, it came from an independent author that and uh, again, it's the same thing as South Park. Yeah. It fell into the right hands. Yeah. The right people found it. And from there, it snowballed. You would never think that George Clooney had a hand in making South Park what it is. But he did. But he did. Somebody sent him a clip of a short that was made. He laughed his ass off. Those who do not know George Clooney, his voice, the gay dog in South Park. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sparky. Because, yep. Don't be gay, Sparky. Don't be gay. And the doctor that kills Kenny in the movie. Yep. It never gets easier. Uh, we've actually replaced your heart with a baked potato. So, yeah, just, just write because it's something you want to do. Yes. You're, don't take failures and sales to heart. Because, oh, yeah. again, you're going to find... 50,000 other independent authors, it's hard to find, to make a dent. But if you're lucky enough, you know, your friends are going to buy a book because you know damn well I'm going to buy your book when it comes out. You know I bought yours. Yep. You know, you've got other people that are going to buy word of mouth. Word of mouth. And then all all of a sudden you're going to look, you know, don't be obsessed with it because I was. I checked my sales (laughs) every single day. Yeah, yeah. And then I realized that that's not good for your mental health. 
Like like Homer Simpson when his website wasn't getting hits and he's tapping the little counter. Yeah. Like by you the way, have to write for yourself and yourself only and hope that somebody else finds what you're writing. Uh the other thing is make sure you get a good editor. Yes. That is the like I was so excited to publish Everything Comes Full Circle. I edited it myself and I edited it poorly. Uh, within the, on the second paragraph, I wanted to put the word taxpayer. Very simple word. Tax player. <laughs> I let it go. I didn't notice it and I published it at tax player. And then I looked at the reviews and somebody said, zero stars. If you can't edit the first page, I don't want to read the rest of your book. And I knew the person was right. It still hurt. Yeah, yeah. But you st- you have to make sure you're not going to get every single thing correct. Correct. You know, you are an amateur author for a reason. You look at J.K. Rowling was rejected by how many places before mm-hmm. Harry Potter was published. It doesn't matter. It, you could have the greatest story ever told. If it's not in the right hands, it's not going to get sold. Exactly. Yeah. Jeff's told me all this before. This was for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was like, I told you this before, but. <laughs> but yeah, this was, that was not for me. That was for them, but it's, it's wonderful. And, and for advice. anyone that's listening that wants to write. Yes. It, it, it's important. Like, I wish Jeremy had told me that, but he didn't. So. <laughs> Well, you know what? But it also stems from what I do here now. I've I've always gotten negative reviews on all the content I've put out for the last 10 years. And it's, it's what's going to happen. There's always going to be somebody who's going to mock my voice or mock my appearance. And I can't let that get to me anymore because if I'm putting myself out there, I got to go with it. And that was part of I, – I actually think working in pro wrestling helped a lot with that because I, I don't have that uh, – that, that those feelings don't negatively affect me as much anymore. And again, you could be the most beautiful person in the world. <laughs> There's still going to be people that don't find you attractive. Absolutely. Beautiful people. Remember that. Well, guys, I hope you all enjoyed this very insightful interview with my friend Jeff Trellowitz. We talked about a lot of stuff here. We got Disney covered. We got uh, the paranormal. We got books and movies and all kinds of cool stuff. And you can check out Jeff right here on CKCC Radio. Buy his books on Amazon. And we'll be back next week with more Not So Humble Bradcast when someone else, just like you, comes and tells their story. We will see you guys next week. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good one, everybody.